The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome to the Keeper Cup podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. This feels weird to me, Pete, because we were just doing this like 48 hours ago and we're, we're back at it already, which is not our regular schedule. Dude, I love it. Like I, I might do my first NFBC draft today. Might do a little, you know, NFBC 50s. We'll see. So I'm, I'm all about it. I'm locked in Christmas break. Let's talk some baseball. Yeah. Nothing better than talking baseball when there is no baseball. There's not even hot stove news. There's just <laughs> there's just nothing happening. Yeah, we recorded on the 21st to get an episode ready for the 27th. And then our manager, Adam Howe, the head of Pitcher List Podcast Network, hit us up and was like, hey, you guys want to do a bonus episode in early January? And we're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so now, a- after recording like six days early, now we're recording, I think, uh, 11 or 12 days early. This is, We're recording on the 23rd. You will hear this on the 4th, but it's going to be good and nothing is going to change between now and then making we're we're now we're now making the same (laughs) jokes we made last episode, which our listeners still haven't heard, (laughs) (laughs) but they will have Uh, now two weeks in a row. Yeah. If anything does change, it just it can't be good, you know, so we're just going to keep it positive. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe between now and when this actually airs, they'll work everything out. And we'll get a bunch of signings and everything we do here will have to be thrown in the trash. Oh, God, I hope not. But yeah, I hope so. (laughs) I don't know. Now I have mixed emotions. (laughs) No, I think we're going to be good because we're going to do some sort of fun day that I think will will still be accurate. I'm looking at my my little teaser here. I'm looking at my draft board and I don't see anybody on my draft board where I'm like, oh, man, if there's new news in the next week, it's going to change how I feel about this guy. And so... Having given that little that little draft board teaser, let me tell you all what you're going to listen to today. We are going to do a a keeper draft, but rather than just doing a draft, we're going to draft using NFBC ADP. So what we're going to do is we are each taking eight players, a catcher, first baseman, second baseman, shortstop, third baseman, outfielder, a starting pitcher, and a relief pitcher. And we're going to take them at their current NFBC ADP. And our goal here is not necessarily to get the best players, the best team. It's to find long-term value. And so we are defining success in this draft as not a guy who has a great season necessarily, but as a guy who is a great keeper. Right. And so that's our that's it. We're the we're the Keeper Cup podcast. We focus on keepers. That's what we're doing right here. And so the idea is you're going to take a player at their current ADP. On the assumption that next year, you will be keeping this player at a cost of their current round, one round higher. So you take a a 10th round guy, you're going to use a ninth round pick to have them as a keeper next year. Basing rounds on a 12-team draft, we are not allowing ourselves to take any first round picks. So there's no like, you know, Tatis is going first and I'm going to take him anyways. And like, that's, that's not an option. The first round picks are off the board. Positions, like I said, we're doing basically one at each spot based on NFBC position eligibility. We're going to do a snake draft. So Pete's going to have the first pick, all the next two. Then it'll be Pete for two, me for two, and so on. We're doing eight rounds. And again, the, the, the focus here is 
Like if we were going to define a winner of this, which I don't think we will, but if we were, it would be something like whose guys moved up the most rounds in ADP at this time next year. Yeah, I think that's that's basically oh one other rule we did we did land on one other rule which is everybody taken in this draft must be somebody who has already debuted and the reason for that is to avoid like the obvious situations where someone like Spencer Torkelson is going very very late this year because nobody knows when he's going to be up but he's clearly going to be more valuable next year it'd be sort of an easy pick we're trying to go out and identify guys who have already debuted who we think. Whether or not their ADP right now is the right ADP is good value for them. We think that next year they're going to be worth a lot more. Anything I missed, Pete? Anything else we should we should let people know about? No, I think that that definitely covers it. You know, and, and especially hitting on the part about guys who haven't debuted, right? Because obviously, you know, NFBC we're talking all redraft. So, and that is, I think, the other sort of general point to make here is because we're using redraft ADP. There are some guys here who probably would be more expensive in any keeper league you're in. I think that's okay. I think that most of the guys I'm looking at, I think I'm expecting they're going to go up multiple rounds next year. So I still think this works. If you disagree, reach out to us on Twitter at KeeperCut and tell us we're idiots. We're happy to hear that. Maybe not happy to hear that. We're willing to hear that. We'd be happier to hear any other feedback or comments you've got. So, so hit us up if you got any feedback. If there's any guys you think we missed, anyone else you want us to talk about. But I think we should dive in. And so, Pete, you are on the clock. A lot of pressure with the first pick here. So I feel like I know you pretty well, Chad. And so there's some guys here who I'm worried you're going to take. But I really want to make sure I get this player. So I'm going to take Alex Bregman, whose current ADP is 95. As we know, Bregman missed most of last year due to injury. And he just had wrist surgery, which certainly could turn around his performance at the plate. He's a guy who's constantly performed above league average and is now at a position that has historically been deep. But going into this year, as you and I have talked about at length, looks actually pretty, pretty thin. So why do I like Bregman? Well, I actually started with uh, an article from Eno Saris on The Athletic that recently came out that was talking about players who basically are set to improve this year in terms of WRC+. Now, WRC+, is not a fantasy-specific statistic. However, it's still a pretty good indicator of how a guy is going to do overall at the plate. So even though we thought Bregman had a bad year at the plate last season, I mean, his WRC plus was still, I want to say like 116. I just had it in front of me and I lost it. Alex Bregman, uh, 115 WRC plus. So he was still pretty solid at the plate in his limited plate appearances, which was about 400 plate appearances. But he's projected, according to Steamer, for 139. And so when you read the article from Eno, it talks a lot about what we kind of expected to talk about for Alex Bregman, which is his his pull percentage and how pulled fly balls, although we don't have the data yet, we can assume they kind of fly more smoothly because they're not spinning as much so they can fly a little bit further. And that's why Bregman's power has the ability to play up a little bit. And although the article really just talks about Bregman's WRC plus his steamer projections overall, I mean, he's a guy who at, at you know, in a 12 team league, I don't know what round this would be. I want to say like the eighth round could has the ability to hit for a combined 200 runs in RBI with with 30 homer potential. And even if you think the 30 homer potential is being optimistic, I still think due to the position scarcity, the fact that he's done it before that short left field porch and and what that article talks about in regards to fly balls, I still feel like Bregman is pretty good value here. Still super young, great lineup, even without Springer, even without Correa, most likely. So Bregman, first overall pick. I can't argue with you on that. I had him on my draft board. He, he was the top third baseman on my board. I'm going to have to pivot at third base. Luckily, now that you've already taken a third baseman, the guy I was looking at is only eligible at third base. So I'm, I'm in no rush to take him now. I can I can save him for later in the draft. So, But I, I'm, I'm totally with you on, on Bregman. His ADP the past few years. So going into 18, he was 32nd off the board. In 2019, he was 14th off the board. In 2020, he was 14th off the board. 2021, he was 44th off the board. It just feels like we've overcorrected. He doesn't have to go all the way back to being a near first round pick for this to be a great keeper. So I'm with you. Nice pick. And then I got to now go to my first round pick. And I'm sort of thinking a little bit the same way you are, which is I want to grab guys that I think you might grab. 
So my first round pick is going to be a guy you talked about on our last episode, Alejandro Kirk, catcher for the Blue Jays. We did cover him quite a bit, the episode that went out on the 27th. So feel free to listen to that. We don't need to go into a ton of depth, but just a few notes here. 404 hitters last year had 100 or more batted ball events. He is 46th out of those 404 in barrels per plate appearance. He is tied in barrels per plate appearance with guys like Brandon Lau, J.D. Martinez. He is just behind Austin Riley and Kyle Tucker. In 189 plate appearances last year, he had 19 walks. That's more than 10% of his plate appearance ending in a walk. He also only had 22 strikeouts. So this isn't a guy who's walking because he's just, you know, hyper patient and not swinging at anything. He is very patient. He does avoid taking bad swings, but he also makes a lot of contact. And so he's, I think he's just a stud and his price is low right now because his role is unclear. My guess is in keeper leagues. I mentioned before that some of these guys are going to have higher ADP in keeper leagues than they do in, in redraft. Man, I think this is great value for the long haul. You get him as a 21st round pick, basically. His ADP right now is 243. And there's no way he's not a top 12 round pick, top 10 round pick next year, uh, unless something goes really wrong. Yeah, no, I, I love that pick. He He's the combination of two things that I love, and you touched upon both, but especially the plate discipline. Guys who are hard to strike out, and so they're going to make contact. And when they make contact, they make thunderous contact. I tweeted it out and I'm trying to find the tweet now I can't I I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find it on time but basically guys who qualified who were like I don't know it was a it was a certain level of hard hit percentage and a certain level of strikeout rate like you had to have such a low strikeout rate such a high hard hit percentage and it was originally supposed to be a DJ LeMahieu tweet but if he qualified Alejandro Kirk certainly would have been on that list and that was a list of like five players that met those particular thresholds so I think he's in a pretty exclusive group I like the pick but he was not on my board so you did not steal one from me here oh no but wasted but pick it was still a good pick still a good pick all right well let me jump to the second round this round I'm not actually not going to go after a guy I think that you're necessarily looking at it's it's someone that I have my eye on. I also like him because I can slot him into either middle infield spots. I get some flexibility later in the draft if I need it. I'm going to take Jorge Polanco with my second round pick. Polanco currently has an ADP of 87, makes him basically an eighth round pick. He's the 11th second baseman off the board right now. Now, some of the second basemen also play shortstops. It's a little as does he, but he's the 11th second baseman off the board. He was the fifth best second baseman on the Rasball Player Raider last year. There's no reason he should be the 11th one off the board. He had an ankle injury in 2020, and you can see in his numbers, he wasn't as good. He had a bad year in 2020. But if you look at his 2019 and 2021, you can see what he can do. I mean, this guy went 33 and 11 last year. He had a 269 average, which is not winning you the league, but boy, with 33 home runs and 11 stolen bases out of a middle infielder hitting in a really good lineup where runs and RBI should be plenty. That's pretty awesome. And, and I think there there's an aspect of like, it felt like we were waiting a long time for Polanco to break out. Then he did in 2019. Then he went back down in 2020. And then he was back up in 2020. It feels like he, he's been around forever. He's 28. Like, I, when I looked at him, one of my first thoughts was like, oh, I think he's a good keeper value. I think he'll probably increase in his cost next year. But I don't know. He's probably like 31, something like that. He's Nope, he's 28. He's still very much in the, the prime of his career. I, I think there's a little bit of a, you know, people are wanting, wanting to prove it, right? Do it two years in a row and then I'll pay full price for you. I'll take that bet right now that he's going to do it two years in a row and that he's going to be, you know, going much earlier next year be more like the fifth second baseman off the board next year instead of the the 11. Yeah, it's a great pick. I don't I don't know why I've been such a hater on Jorge Polanco. I just for some odd reason I can't put a finger on or have a hard time believing in him, but he looks like he is a kind of a late arrival to the fly ball revolution posting career high fly ball rate, career high launch angle, and that showed with the power. I mean, the exit velocities aren't crazy. But when you're lifting the ball that much, hitting it to all fields, you know, he, he was able to find over the fence quite a few times last year. I, it's just a ri- ridiculous season. So I can't disagree with that pick at that value. All right. It's on to your second round pick now. It is. It is. I am on the clock and man, it's hard. I feel like I've ch- I'm looking at a lot of guys that I think you like, but I'm going to choose somebody that I don't think you do. And I'm, to be honest, I don't know if I like him either. I just found him really interesting at this value. Glaber Torres at ADP 159. 
he was also mentioned in that Eno article I referenced earlier. He's he's projected to make quite a big jump in WRC plus closer to his career average. He's projected for a 118 WRC plus. And there's a lot to unpack here with Glaber. First of all, he still has strong on base skills, even during his like down season. And it was really down. I mean, it was brutal. If you kept or drafted Glaber Torres last year and you got those nine home runs, you're listening to me saying that I'm going to take him here and just wondering why I could choose literally any shortstop in all of baseball right now, as long as they're not going in the first round and as long as they haven't debuted and I'm going with him. But those strong up base skills were still there, just a 20.2 K rate, 9.7 walk rate, which aren't elite, but a 22.6 chase rate is. Those skills are still there. The the core plate discipline skills are still there. That gives me some hope. The league average home run to fly ball rate last year, Chad, was 13.6%. During 2019, when Torres broke out, that was 21.5. Now, in his horrible 2020, which like we can just throw out, it was 7.1, his home run to fly ball rate. And last year, that went down to 6.9. Now, it's not as simple as he's it's bad luck. Uh, it, it's, his, it's his pitch selection. It's his lack of a strong exit velocity for a while. He had a similar exit velocity to Miles Straw last year, which is not what you want. But that bad luck in terms of home run to fly ball rate is kind of backed up by his expected slugging, right? I mean, his expected slugging is taking his exit velocities and his launch angles and saying, this is what it should result in. He had the 13th worst best. I don't know how you want to word this slugging versus X slugging differential, which basically he slugged 366 and his expected slugging was 422. So when we talk about a guy who's he's still just 25 years old, which I think is something that is crazy. I know we talk about the Glaber Torres age, like that was a thing for a while. It was a funny running joke on Yankee fans, I guess. Like he is still super young. The numbers did start slipping when he became a full-time shortstop. And I think it's pretty clear the Yankees want to move him off of shortstop at this point to, to bring in someone elite. We'll see if that still happens. I don't know if Correa is in the cards for them and a lot of the other guys have signed, but there was the intention of moving him off. It's probably not likely a cause. It's probably more likely that the league adjusted, but it's interesting. So if he moves off of shortstop, we can see if the numbers do in fact go back up. And finally, the 14 stolen bases, like speed is hard. Now, he was caught stealing six times, so I think expecting 14 stolen bases is is unrealistic. But if he steals eight or something like that, that's that's a lot more valuable than it was 10 years ago. So I, I kind of like Glaber here. I think there's room for growth, obviously. Yeah, he, he started to show some of that growth in the second half already. I mean, in the, the first half last year, his average exit velocity was 86.4. His barrel rate was 6%. If you fast forward to the second half of the season, everything went up. Barrel rate went up to 10.5%. His exit vo- average exit velocity went up to 88.3. Now, he's got work to do there. Like that's that's not necessarily enough, but it's it's a good sign that things are trending back the right direction. Yeah, I, I think I like that pick. I think you know we another guy we talked about last episode, right? When we, we talked about the team that got him in the mock auction, paid sixteen dollars for him, and we were sort of saying, yeah, there's there's it seems like a high price for what he's done the last year and a half or whatever but there's a $30 middle infielder in there and so I feel the same way here it's you know he is going at what is his ADP right now his ADP is about 160 159.6 there's a top 100 top maybe even top 50 bat in theory there's a top 50 bat in there he doesn't have to reach that though for this to be a good pick in this draft right if he gets back into the top 100 this will this will look great so I'm good with that. I like that pick. So Torres was your second round pick. Who is your third round pick? So I'm going to go with Alex Kirilov. He's a guy who I've I've talked about in the past. I know you're a fan of him, Chad. Um, you know, a lot of these numbers I'm going to throw out there. Um, we've we've heard before, right? Because his season ended early. He had that wrist surgery. I don't feel particularly good about that one, as I do like Bregman, because Kirilov was performing well and then got hurt. Bregman on the flip side with his wrist surgery was performing poorly. And then I was like, he, re- he had some mass or something like that, the size of a golf ball removed from his, his wrist. So it's a little bit different. The Kirloff top 10 prospect back in 2019, according to MLB pipeline. So the pedigree is obviously there. We've been hearing about him for a while. When we talk about barrels to barrel a ball, you need to hit a ball at least 98 miles an hour with a, a launch angle between 26 and 30 degrees. So your barrels per plate appearance percentage is basically how many of your what is the percentage of your plate appearances result in a in a barrel? How or what is the yeah. Anyway, sorry, I got a, a little tongue twisted there. His was 9.1%. 
Now, it's an extremely limited sample size. We're talking just 150 batted ball events, but that's good for 32nd in all of baseball. That's tied with Luis Robert. That's better than Corey Seager, better than Austin Riley, better than Juan Soto, better, better than Matt Olson and, and a lot of other stars. So, like there's some serious a pop at the plate with Kirilov and you sprinkle in the fact that he basically underperformed all of his expected statistics in his limited sample size. I think the end result is a, is a kind of awesome prospect that is getting lost in the shuffle a little bit. I mean, he's still being drafted as a top 200 player. I should have mentioned the ADP it's 175.93. So he's basically on pick 176, which is still for a guy who had, who has extreme limited experience in the major leagues is still kind of a price to pay, but there's so much room for growth at that ADP that I think to lock him up there in a keeper league, you're talking about some serious, serious upside with Kirilov. Yeah, I think it's a really good example of a guy who, this isn't a sleeper draft. This isn't a value draft. This isn't necessarily guys who are, you know, underpaid at this point. It's it's guys who we think are going to increase in value. And I, I don't have any problem with either the ADP on Karoloff or with believing that he's going to be at a much higher, much better, lower ADP, better ADP, earlier ADP, and a much earlier ADP at this time next year. And actually, I think I'm going to jump right into my outfielder with the third round because I think there's some similarities because the outfielder that I want to take is Andrew Vaughn. And Andrew Vaughn is another AL Central top prospect, came up last year. He made the jump from A-ball straight to the majors, which is a challenge. And he he struggled as a result. He wasn't he wasn't great. That is driving down, I think, his ADP to the point that it is he's at 227, which makes him like a 19th round pick, something like that. But this is a guy who had excellent plate discipline throughout the minors. And then that was just gone when he got to the majors. And, you know, part of that is it's harder to hit in the majors. And you expect plate discipline to get a little bit worse as guys move up. But I think a big part of it was just making the jump he had to make. I and mean, if you look at his numbers from 2019, he had basically a 13% walk rate and about a 15% strikeout rate in, in A and high A between those two levels. Now, that's going to change a lot when he gets to the majors, but his his walk rate dropped all the way down to 8.7%. His strikeout rate jumped all the way up to 21.5%. I think both of those numbers are going to move towards each other. Steamer is projecting the walk rate up a little bit at 9%, strikeout rate down a little bit at 20.7%. I think by the end of the year, I think those numbers, they look even better, right? So I think you know maybe the first half, he looks more like he did last year, but by the second half of the season, I think he's going to be walking more than 10% of the time. I think he'll be striking out less than 20% of the time. And on top of that, he was hitting the ball really well last year. So among guys with 250 or more batted ball events, there's 207 of those guys. He was 48th in barrels per plate appearance. As his strikeouts come down, that should go up because you will have more balls in play that can turn into barrels. His max exit velocity was 115. That puts him right between Joey Gallo at 115.1 and Christian Yelich at 114.9, 33rd overall. That's a that's a pretty good place to be in terms of his ability to hit the ball hard. Then you add in that that is a awfully power friendly park he gets to play in, and an awfully offense friendly lineup he is hitting in the middle of. And this, I think, similar to Kirilov, I I'm not going to argue that the ADP is too low. I think it might be. I think you could maybe, I think even in a redraft you could take him a little earlier than that and and benefit. But I think that as he grows and develops. By the end of this year, people are going to be very, very high on him for the 2023 season. And because of that, I think he's going to be way more valuable than a 19th round pick. Strategically, not the right choice for you to make here because I should have gone with a position you hadn't already taken. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to back him up right next to Karoloff because I think that it makes for an interesting comparison of these two guys who the pedigree and the skill set, it's going to shine through. Yeah, I was tempted to take Andrew Vaughn. I think that's a pretty strong pick. I think people might forget too when they look at those numbers that he was asked to do something he had never done before. I mean, he was first of all thrown right into the fire with a team that had immense expectations in the White Sox, and he spent most of the time in the outfield. He even made starts at second base and at third base. I mean, Andrew Vaughn was moved 
all around. He was in and out of the lineup, and there was a lot of pressure on him to perform. He's a guy who spent one year in the minor leagues, and then obviously 2020 didn't happen for the minor leagues, and then was just thrown right into the fire in 2021. So the fact that he came out as as strong looking as he did to me is actually a good thing. And I'm I'm with you. There's there's immense potential going forward, especially at that ADP, even further down than Kirilov, who I think most would agree Vaughn has a potentially higher ceiling than Kirilov. He did not look great, but he certainly didn't look terrible, right? The point you made, like right. he he held his own making that jump from A ball to the majors. And I think that's a really good sign. I don't know if I agree he has a higher ceiling than Kirilov. I think, man, it's an interesting question. It's a tough one. At their costs, right? I think it's worth noting that, you know, Kirilov is going around 176 versus Vaughn going around 227. So at their costs, keeper, redraft, anything, I will take Vaughn 50 picks later over Kirilov. I think that one for me is easy. At the same cost, like let's say you're in a draft where they're both going to go sort of in between those two, right around 200, and you have to pick one or the other. That's a tough call. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I think I would go Kirilov. Okay. I think wow. he's got the higher upside. Interesting. I just, I, Vaughn came up with so much, so much hype, and, and, you know, in that loaded draft and then was just rushed to the majors that maybe in my head, I just view him as a higher upside guy, but I'm cool with, with my guy in this draft having the higher upside. That's fine with me. All right. Well, let's jump to the fourth round now from young guys. We're going to go to someone who is still young, but a little bit more established. I'm going to take my first baseman here. I'm going to take Reese Hoskins. Hoskins last year had, had injury issues, only got 443 plate appearances he had 27 home runs in those 443 plate appearances. There are only 12 first basemen, not counting guys like Muncie who qualified first base, but are not really first basemen. There are only 12 first basemen who had more home runs than him. And all of them but Brandon Belt had a lot more plate appearances. Now, Reese Hoskins is not going to provide a great average. He is not going to steal you any bases. But I think he is hitting in a great park to hit in. He is hitting in a solid lineup, and it's a it is a a top heavy lineup where maybe the bottom of it isn't great, but the top of it where he's going to be hitting will provide him plenty of run and RBI opportunities. I think he's going to give you a ton of value across those three categories. He is trying to look because I was looking before, and I got I'm going to double check this. He he's going outside the sort of starting first base tier in terms of ADP. His ADP is 147 which makes him a 13th round pick by our rules. And I just think there are first basemen going ahead of him right now who I don't necessarily disagree with. He's the 15th first baseman off the board. But I think that by this time next year, like I think he moves up above a guy like CJ Crone. I think he might move up above a guy like, like Ryan Mountcastle, who's currently going 35 picks higher. I think guys like Jose Abreu and or Paul Goldschmidt might start to age out of some of their production and some of the ADP that they're getting right now. And I think that as a result, Hoskins is going to move up. I think if he has a fully healthy season, that's a big if, but if he has a fully healthy season, he jumps multiple rounds in ADP. He is too good a power hitter to to be going as late as he is. I think the thing that's interesting for me is in 2018, 2019, which was his two best seasons, he played full seasons. He had 34 and 29 home runs, but he is showing a lot more now. His his average exit velocity those two seasons was 89 and 89.8. It was 91.2 last year. He set a career high max exit velocity last year. His barrel rate last year was 17%. Now that's a little inflated because of his strikeouts. So on a, on a per plate appearance basis, he's not quite as good. Let me see if I can pull that up right now. I've got Savant open. I've got the right leaderboard open. It doesn't want to sort for me. Here we go. He was, oh, well, I take it back. Last year, among players with 250 or more batted ball events, like I said before, there are 207 of those, he was eighth in barrels per plate appearance. He is sandwiched right in between some, I don't know, decent hitters. I, let, me, let me know if you've heard of these guys. Uh, there's this guy, Bryce Harper. <laughs> who is sure. at 10.8% right ahead of him. And a young kid in Toronto, you may not be familiar with, Vlad Guerrero Jr. at 10.7%, right behind Reese Hoskins. His dad played, right? His dad played, that's right. Okay. That's, I know yeah. a lot of people probably aren't familiar with Vlad Jr., but Vlad Sr., you know, Hall of Famer, one of the best ever. So. Oh, that's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but the point is, like, 
Hoskins hits the ball really hard. He's in a great park to hit the ball hard. He has been healthy in the past. Last year, he obviously wasn't. He has hit 34 home runs before. I think he has easy 40 home run upside, especially if the gains he made last year are real. And I think, yeah, I think a full season hitting early in that lineup, he's going to put up some big, big numbers. Yeah, it's a strong pick. It's He's a guy that Steamer loves. I mean, obviously you brought up the power and you also mentioned the RBI and run potential. Steamer projects him for 34 homers. And I agree with the 40 homer upside. And I think Steamer kind of does as well because it's 34 homers in just 143 games. So the, the within his range of outcomes, definitely. And 95 runs and 84 RBI. So it's definitely somebody that they're in on. And they do project him for five stolen bases. And he's done that before. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities given how much he gets on base. And five stolen bases is not nothing from your first baseman. So I... I like the pick. I think there's a lot of a lot of upside in the Reese Hoskins. Yeah, that's fair. I sort of brushed off the stolen bases because it just I, I'm not relying on him for them. But you're right. Oh, I, mean, God, I think no. a first baseman who chips in a handful is that's just a bonus. Yeah. So what about your fourth round pick, Pete? So far, you have taken a third baseman. Kirilov could be outfield or first base. Torres could be second base or shortstop. You got, you got some options here in round four. I do. So I have Bregman at third. I have Glaber at shortstop and I have Kirilov at first from those multiple eligibility guys. I guess I'll go with, hmm, I'm looking at my options here. I'm going to go with Will Smith at catcher, ADP 68.57. So he's going with about the 68th pick, 69th pick. You know how I feel about catcher now. Kind of shifted my thinking and that I want to have an advantage of catcher. And I think when we talk about Will Smith, we're talking about a player who is not, you can't call him catcher number one, right? Maybe to keep your league, you definitely could. But given how well Salvador Perez performed last year, I think Perez has earned catcher number one. To me, I probably have Will Smith at number two. I think he's awesome. It The fact that through over 800 plate appearances, I mean, we're talking about 834 plate appearances in his major league career. He's a catcher who has an 892 OPS. Like, he's awesome. Now, the, the, the one thing you can say is that he had this breakout 2020, like full on breakout 2020 and didn't ap- improve upon it in 2021. But let's keep in mind, it was just 60 games in 2020. That might not be entirely who he is. The playtime is going to be there. He did make 100. He did play 130 games last year. There was some concern, especially with Dave Roberts's comments before last season began. But now with Clayton Kershaw, most likely out of the picture and Austin Barnes, not not vulturing those those catcher starts on such a consistent basis. I do kind of expect Will Smith to potentially, you know, at least repeat the 130 games, potentially go up to 140. And when you're getting that kind of production out of your catcher, I really do think, especially now, it separates you from the pack. He projects to hit fifth, but if Muncy's not healthy, not ready to go, who knows what's going on there with that elbow. He could end up being the cleanup hitter for the Dodgers, which means he's going to hit behind Mookie Betts and Trey Turner. This is a catcher with a ton of upside. So with the 69th pick, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that one. Yeah, I think the, the thing you didn't even mention is that right now his value is is impacted by the fact that we can't assume an NLDH. But if we get right. a universal DH, I think there's a good chance that by the second half of the year, we're going, oh, man, this guy's playing almost every day. Right. He's starting to get to like Sal Perez levels of games played. And if he gets to those levels of games played, maybe he is catcher one. Sure. Like he, he's I don't know. I, this is an interesting question is is I'm not a huge Sal Perez fan. I, I haven't been. I don't I don't love his approach. He obviously was incredible this past year. I'm not going to have him anywhere because of his cost. I do like Will Smith. And like, I don't know. I, I don't think it's crazy to think that Smith could pass him this year. I Like, I think that's I think Smith is a better hitter than Sal Perez. Now, sure. that doesn't always pan out as better stats, but I think he's the better hitter. And I, I think eventually that'll come through. So yeah, I love that. I think that's, a, that's really good. I think he, he would benefit more than most from the DH coming because I think the Dodgers would find a way to get his bat in the lineup as often as possible. And they're going to have to, right? I mean, after, after losing Seager, they're, they're definitely going to have to. And, you know, you say a better hitter. I completely agree. I mean, w- when we talk about being a complete hitter, and this definitely factors into your league settings, Will Smith is, is an above average on base guy. Salvador Perez walks once every 58,000 games. That's a huge difference. And, it, and it's going to obviously impact the counting stats. For redraft, I, there's no chance I'd take Will Smith before Salvador Perez, but there's also no chance I take Salvador Perez because of his price. So not to turn into too much of a comparison, but I think we're we're lockstep there on, on Will Smith. 
We are. And so we've now reached the midpoint of the draft. We've each made our first four picks. Quick recap. In the four picks that Pete took, he has taken Alex Bregman at third base, Glaber Torres at shortstop, Alex Kirilov at first base. Will Smith is his catcher. I took my catcher first, Alejandro Kirk. Took Jorge Polanco as my second baseman in the second. Andrew Vaughn in the outfield in the third. And Reese Hoskins at first base in the fourth. It's about to be a fifth round pick for Pete. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here. And thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, Pete, we are back. It is time for your fifth round pick. You had all of the time during that commercial to think about what you want to do with it. What's the pick for you in the fifth? Sure. So my fifth round pick is like one that I'm really on the fence on. I don't know how much I love it, but I took Brendan Rogers at second base. His ADP is 161. It's 160.66. So we'll call it 161. Like Kirilov, who's a top 10 prospect on MLB Pipeline in 2019. So the pedigree is there. And I think he's another kind of post hype guy, even though there's all of a sudden a lot of hype on him after how he performed last season, given his pedigree. And I think that's what's pushing this, this kind of startlingly high ADP. Now, I still took him in this draft because I, I obviously see room for growth there. I think I think this is going to be value. And I think odds are next year, Brennan Rogers is going even higher, but it's not without concern. First of all, he improved his K rate a lot. His carrot was at 20.2 last year, which is excellent. He's a guy who's battled a lot of shoulder injuries, shoulder surgery over the years. So to see him improve, not only impacting the ball, but also with his plate discipline, it kind of helps me believe that like the pedigree can can come full circle here and we'll, we'll get what we kind of expected from Brendan Rodgers back when he was such a highly touted prospect. He did, however, and this is kind of what's driving my trepidations, outperform his X stats by a lot. He's not going to walk much, but he does make a lot of contact. He does need to lower his ground ball rate, though. I mean, his ground ball rate was is out of control. Through 517 plate appearances, his ground ball rate is 51.5. And you just don't want that when a guy plays in course. Like, just get the ball in the air and let the air, of course, take care of it. And with a launch angle of just 5.8 degrees, that hasn't been the case. So between out, outperforming the expected stats, the launch angle, the ground ball rate, he, he's not really an on-base kind of guy, that does concern me. But we've seen guys adjust. Like we just talked about with Jorge Polanco. Now, it wasn't as extreme as an, of an example, but he's embraced this flyball revolution. We've seen how talented players can really play up at cores if they can start getting the ball in the air. And if Rodgers does that, all of a sudden the power's playing up. He's got all the other tools. I think he could be a pretty valuable piece and definitely move up at a thin position. And the fact that he's dual eligible and could definitely move around the diamond for the Rockies, assuming they actually play him, which might be a little bit of a big assumption. I like him. I like Brandon Rodgers at this pick. It wasn't an easy pick, but at second base, I kind of like the value here. Yeah, I, I don't I don't hate it. Uh, I think Rodgers, like, I think they'll play him. I just can't they imagine they won't. I don't know what else they're, what else they're going to do. They have to. But I, the, the big thing I worry about with him is even if he's healthy and gets a full season, how much has the history of injuries just fundamentally changed what we should expect from him? You know, there was a point in time, like you mentioned, where he was like a top 10 prospect in baseball. The upside was sort of, especially from a fantasy perspective, was was elite. I don't think that upside exists anymore, but I also don't think that he needs to reach quite that upside to be a value in this draft, right? I mean, I think what we're looking for here is guys are going to move up. Say he's going 160th. You took, you actually, you basically took 
Torres and Rogers, who are the 156th and 157th best ADPs. So you took back-to-back middle infielders as far as NFBC is concerned. I, I think he could easily move up from being, what is that, like a 14th round pick, something like that, 13th or 14th round. He Somewhere could easily move up to being a, a first 10 rounds kind of guy. So that was your fifth round pick. And now we're on to my fifth round pick. And I'm going to mess with things here because you're the pitching guy. And we've now gone five rounds for you without you taking a single pitcher. So I'm going to jump in and I'm going to I'm going to take my starting pitcher here in the fifth round. I'm going to take Blake Snell. Blake Snell is a guy who was going as a top 50 pick and now is barely going as a top 50 pitcher off the board. But his last eight starts last year, ignoring his final start. So his final start, he only went two thirds of an inning. He got hurt and then had to get pulled. So let's leave that out. But the eight starts before that, he went 47.2 innings pitch, which puts him at just a third of an inning short of six innings per start. He had a 3.02 ERA, a 2.90 FIP, 35.7% K rate, 9.7% walk rate. His last three starts, he went 7.2, 7, and 7 innings. Now, the big question with Snell has never been his ability to get outs. The big question with Snell has consistently been how deep into games can he go? How consistently can he do it? The Padres down the stretch last year, got this guy going six, seven innings every time out. Now, he got hurt at the end of that. So it does beg the question, like, is that why he got hurt? But I still think for him going, he's going 128th right now, makes him an 11th round pick. I just think that's way, way too late for a guy with his skills. Now, there's a lot of questions. You got to see what he's going to do. Is he going to bounce back? But he started to bounce back in the second half last year. I think that that continues. I don't have an issue with people who are hedging and taking him where they're taking him now. I'm not saying you have to jump three rounds now, but I think that by the end of this season, he's going to he's going to put together a full season. He'll be healthy. He'll be regularly going deep enough into games to have real value. And when you put that all together, he's going to be back to being a top 50 pick, I think. And the nice thing is with this pick, I don't need him to be a top 50 pick. If he's a top 100 pick, this works out for me. I'm grabbing Blake Snell here in the fifth round. It's a nice pick. I definitely think good value, obviously. Cy Young upside, right? I mean, this is a guy who, who locked up a Cy Young. He's on a team where we're, we're simulating five by five. He's on one of the better teams in baseball. So the wins should be there, assuming he's going deep enough into his outings. Not that this matters to me anyway, but seeing 29 years old, oh my God, like where, where, where did the years go? I remember, I think in his debut, it was A-Rod that hit a grand slam off him. So I was surprised to see the 29. I mean, the clock is ticking for him to kind of get back that ace upside kind of similar to Luis Castillo. I do expect a little bit high of a whip, but otherwise the strikeout potential is immense. I mean, even if you drafted him last year and you were super disappointed in what you got, you still got awesome strikeout numbers. So I I think that's going to be there with Blake Snell. I like the pick. He was a guy I considered. I think he was, you know, one of maybe five or six names I was, I was thinking about with my starting pitcher spot. So obviously I'm on board with that. And I'm going to go now go and I'm going to finish off my pitching staff my two-person pitching staff here in the sixth round, going back-to-back pitchers. I'm going to take a closer. I'm taking Ken Giles. And I'll be honest, I don't have a ton that I think we need to say about Ken Giles because he did not pitch last year and he barely pitched the year before that. He's going around the 250th pick, which is basically the 21st round. The last time we saw this guy pitching, he was an elite closer. He was getting strikeouts. He was keeping guys off base. He was racking up saves. The Mariners went with a closer by committee last year for the most part. Graveman had the job for a while, but it bounced around, especially after he got traded. They're going to have a lot of options this year. They're going to have Giles coming back. They're going to have Munoz. They've got Paul Sewald. Like They've got good choices. My guess is that they are going to like having the option to move guys around, and so they may still do that. However, Giles is a call him a capital C closer. I don't think they have anyone else who is sort of a closer in that mold or has the history of closing like he does. And because of his injury history, I think the option to like keep him on a regular schedule, have him going the ninth inning, know his role is going to be very attractive to them. And everyone else in that bullpen is used to this like you you, you pitch when you pitch and when we need you, we need you. And so my guess is that by some point in the season, he's going to reestablish himself. He's going to take over that closer role. He's going to settle in. And if he settles in as the type of closer he's capable of being, I mean, closers like Ken Giles, if they if he had the job, he'd be going 100 picks higher. 
And so this is again a case where like I'm not necessarily saying that the ADP is too low, although I think I will end up like he's a guy that in a five by five league I'd be drafting quite a bit of. But it's more that I think by mid season people are going to be like, yeah, this guy's a top, you know, this guy's a top ten closer, and the tenth closer off the board this year is Jordan Romano going at 104. That's that's almost 150 picks earlier than Giles is going. So I think by next year he's he's right in that range. I love the reasons that you listed for why he will, I think, has a great shot at becoming the closer in Seattle. And I think just to pile on, he's at his best in save situations. I mean, historically, he's been a guy who's who's posted some fluctuating ERAs. Those ERAs have gone up largely due to him being into non-save, non-clean inning situations where he ends up giving up runs. But he's otherwise like as locked down as it, if he takes over the ninth inning in a clean inning at the start, he gets the save. And in between that and just the routine and everything else, I do think that's a pretty solid bet there. But if any of those names, just kind of as a side note, whoever gets that closers role, whether it's Seawald, Andres Munoz, or Ken Giles, I'm in. I like all three of those. Yeah, I do too. And I think, you know, it's an interesting bullpen where, like, in a draft and hold, I'd be super interested in taking all three of those guys. Sure. And and I think Giles and Seawald are the two I would focus on. But like you could take both of those guys or even all three of those guys. One of them's going to get the role. If one of them doesn't get the role, they're going to share it and you'll rack up all those saves that way. And whichever one doesn't get the role is still going to provide you real, real good value in terms of rates and strikeouts. And so I, I, I really like I like that bullpen in general, but I, I think Giles is the one I want to bet on for being the closer long term. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. All right, Pete, back to you for your pick. So I can kind of do whatever I want because you you have these last three positions kind of all wrapped up. I'm going to go with the most obscure, and it's a name that you like, I think. Let me start with his ADP. This player's ADP is 524.42. 524. So he's basically not being drafted. Yeah, he's free. That's kind of why I took him because I'm going to really spend up for my ace. I put a lot of thought into this. So who I really wanted to take just so I can get this out into the air and everybody knows it. I'm huge on Luis Robert this year. I think, you know, even if you're saying, well, you know, you'd have to pay a second round pick. Sure, because I think you're getting a potential top five player. So Luis Robert would have been the pick. But I wanted to talk about Trevor Larnack. Again, ADP 524.42. Now, there's a lot of reasons to to say that's you're <laughs> doubling up on young twins. I am you're twin twins. And they're projected to bat uh, eighth and ninth. So what a great strategy that is, right? <laughs> a couple things about Larnack. First of all, he's projected to platoon with Brent Rooker, but I, I think the twins are just hoping he just takes the job, right? I mean, I, you would hope so. Another thing that makes me regret this pick, even though I don't regret it, but like it, it could end up being a bad pick, is his swinging strike percentage literally went up at every level. It got worse and worse and worse and then it was over 16% in the major league. So there's there's an issue there that he's going to have to address. The Twins have not found a way to cut down on Miguel Sano's strikeout rate. So I, do I have confidence they'll be able to do it with Trevor Larnack? I don't know, maybe that's an unfair critique. There are certainly guys within their system, be it Polanco, be it Arias who don't strike out. So maybe there's somebody that can help him out. I don't know. But it's not all bad. There's a reason I did take him. I mean, a career 841 OPS in the minors. 841 Above average ability to get on base, it's not like mind blowing, but he but he is capable of taking a walk. He did show that in a limited sample last year. I think his walk rate was around ten percent. We'll definitely take that. And then there's the anecdotal evidence that we talked about with Oniel Cruz, who had a little bit higher of a max exit velocity, but Trevor Larnax was one sixteen. Now that's one batted ball event is far from telling the whole story, but there is a capable something within Trevor Larnack allows allowed him to hit a ball 116 miles an hour. And it wasn't a ground ball. This was a pulled home run. Love to see it off Greg Holland. Certainly not the most fearsome pitcher out there. But hey, we'll take it 116 miles an hour. So 116 is 116 even off of Greg Holland. Even off of me, right? So hey, we'll we'll take that. When he's considering he's free, it's a great lineup. I, well, it has the potential to be a great lineup. So even though he's hitting lower, I do think it could turn over enough for him to warrant the 524th pick in a draft. So it's a long shot, but Trevor Larnack for your outside the top 580p pick. Yeah, I love that. I was real, real high on Larnack last year. I'm I'm tempering that a bit this year. I think I, one, of, one of my big takeaways from last year overall was that I was too quick to assume that my guys were going to were gonna pan out. 
And so I had guys like Larnock that I was like penciling in as the middle of my outfield and because I believe he's capable of that. And then like they weren't. And what I need to do, one of the things I want to do a better job of this year is recognizing that like if Larnock is free, then treat him as that. Take him as a bench bat. Take him as an end of the roster guy. Don't take him and think, yep, locked up my third outfielder because that's not, it's just not a safe place to be. And so I'm trying to sort of temper myself a little bit on guys like Larnock, who I'm high on. But I mean, you hit on it. The guy is patient. He gets on base and he has a ton of power. At this time last year, I was higher on him than I am on, than I was on Kirilov. I still think Larnock has the higher upside in terms of his ability with the bat. And so we'll see if that plays out. I think Kirilov's more likely to reach his his ceiling than than Larnock is. But I, I like them both. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm still a big Larnock fan. So it's, I like that pick quite a bit. You've now taken six picks and you have covered your offense completely. We can just recap for everyone. Your your offense is going to be Smith at catcher, Kirilov at first base, Rogers at second base, Torres at shortstop, Bregman at third, and Larnock in the outfield. Who's going to be throwing the ball? So I'm really paying up here because I, I, I just believe in this player wholeheartedly, and uh, I'm paying up for Sandy Alcantara. So right now, Sandy has an ADP of 40.39. I think that he has you know top five starting pitcher, if not higher potential. I think you could make the case that he's already there. He has all the tools we want to see in an ace. Right. First of all, he's young. He's improving. He goes deep into outings, which is extremely rare for pitchers these days. But Sandy Alcantara maybe goes deeper into outings than anybody else in the sport. He had three awesome pitches. Now, saying that the changeup is awesome is maybe a, a little bit aggressive, and I don't think he gets enough separation. He throws it a little bit too hard. This is something I was talking about with Nick when I was on on the corner. Basically, his changeup is going like 92 miles an hour. It's just not enough separation from his from his hyper fast fastball. The guys can just wait a little bit and then hit it. But his his slider and his fastball both ranked in the top 12, I believe, in terms of Fangraph's pitch value. So he has two elite pitches to kind of turn to. The knock on Alcantara has been the swing and miss, right? Like, you know, I love ground ball pitchers, so it should be no surprise that I'm in on Sandy and the ground balls aren't going anywhere. But when you look at his splits, his strikeout rate jumped from 21% basically in the first half to 27% in the second half. And that include a month of August, I believe it was, I just had it. Yeah. Where his K rate was 30.2%. So all of a sudden we're talking about a young starting pitcher with multiple offerings can throw a hundred miles an hour, goes deep into outings. I don't know if I already said that and is striking guys out and getting ground balls. I mean, the potential for Sandy Alcantara is, is limitless. And so the hype seems a little bit on social media, like out of control. I don't think it is. I think it's appropriate. I'm, I'm all in on Sandy. Yeah, I think if you look at at ADP for pitchers right now, so as you mentioned, Alcantara is going about 40th overall, which makes him roughly a fourth round pick. He's going right after Lucas Giolito. Then you look up a few picks, you go basically you know eight picks earlier, sort of late third instead of early fourth round. You've got Julio Urias, sort of middle of the third round. You've got Shane Bieber. Then you look at like right around the 22nd, 23rd picks overall, you're getting Jacob deGrom and Zach Wheeler. And, you know, DeGrom is down that low because of the injury risk. But, like, Wheeler sort of feels like the value comp for Alcantara. If he does this again, I, I just, I, that's the, that's the kind of guy he, like, guy who goes deep into games, guy who gets strikeouts, guy who keeps the ball on the ground. Like, there's, there's a lot that I see there that makes me think, like, Wheeler is a reasonable sort of draft value comp for Alcantara. And, and that would be jumping up, you know, two rounds basically from where he is in the fourth to to somewhere in the second. So I, I totally get that. I think, it, yeah, he's just got to do it again, right? I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to. If he, do, if he does it again, especially with those gains in the second half that you mentioned, he'll be going right there for sure. So I got to now to make my seventh round pick. I've covered my pitching. I need a third baseman and a shortstop with these last two picks. And I guess since I'm making back-to-back picks, I can do them in any order I want. So I'm going to do my shortstop first. And this is a guy we've talked about on the show before that we both really like. I'm going to take Willie Adamas. He is currently going around pick 142, which makes him a 12th round pick. And, uh, you know, a little bit like what we just talked about with Alcantara, a little bit like I talked about with Jorge Polanco earlier, I think I think people are just asking him to prove it before they pay for it. Because if you look at what he did... Like his time in Milwaukee prorated to 600 plate appearances. 
is 30 home runs, six stolen bases, 89 runs, 84 RBIs. We know that he didn't like hitting in Tampa, or at least he said he didn't like hitting in Tampa. And what I think is interesting is if you look at his career, his career road WRC plus is 136. Now that includes this time in Milwaukee. If you just look at his career line on the road before the trade. Okay, so these are his road numbers as a Tampa Bay Ray. 628 plate appearances, which is very conveniently basically a full season. Very helpful. 26 home runs, 7 stolen bases, 93 runs, 66 RBIs, and a 291 average. Now, you add in the fact that most players hit a little bit better at home just because they're in a park they're used to, stuff like that. And Milwaukee's a pretty good park for him to hit in. If you prorate his time in Milwaukee, you get 30 home runs. If you look at his career on the road, he had 26. If you prorate his time in Milwaukee, you get six stolen bases. His career, he had seven. The RBIs were a little bit higher in Milwaukee, which I think is a good sign. But like, I think this is a guy who could end up with a you know 280 to 290 average, so helping you in average based on his road numbers prior. 25 to 30 home runs, five to eight stolen bases, maybe even pushing 10, and getting close to 90 runs, 90 RBIs. Now, that's a little bit on the optimistic side, I think, but like not super optimistic, like well within range optimistic. And like I said, all I'm really doing is saying if he really is who he's been whenever he's been not in Tampa. And I mean, I don't even mean not with the Rays. I mean, literally not in the city. It's not even in the city of Tampa. It's in the city of St. Pete. You get him outside Tropicana Field, and that's what he's been is is a 30 homer, seven stolen base, 290 average kind of guy. Yeah, I'll take that in in the 12th round. And I think that we're going to, again, midway through the season, people are going to look back and be like, yep, that's what he is. And he's going to jump multiple rounds next year as a result. Love the pick. I was considering him. And if I ended up going with him, I knew that you were going to be in on Willie Adams as well. So I was going to have to kind of make a move kind of early. But I agree with all of that. Willie Adamas, I think, is a, a blossoming stud. Yeah, I love that trade for them. That, that really and, and by the way, not a bad trade for Tampa. I, I really like Drew Rasmussen as well, but playoff starter, Drew Rasmussen. That's right. <laughs> I actually so Rasmussen, I considered him as one of my starting pitcher options for this draft. So I I, I am actually quite high on him, but couldn't take him over Snell and yeah. Sure. That said, I need a third baseman. And you already took Alex Bregman, who is who's one of my two choices. So I'm gonna go with the other one. Currently going 285th off the board, puts him around the 24th round, is Alec Bohm. So I already took his first base counterpart in Philly and Reese Hoskins. I'm taking Bohm as well. Again, great park to hit in, good lineup to hit in. But honestly, with, with Bohm, and this is maybe a little bit like what, what we you talked about with Larnock, like I'm banking on that 70 hit tool. Like I don't believe that he is as bad as he looked last year. He made some adjustments when he went down to the minors. We didn't really get to see enough of him back in the majors to know when he came back up, he had like, I don't know, eight, nine plate appearances, something like that. And yeah, a little more than that. He had, he came back up, he had 10 plate appearances. So there's really nothing to be learned from that, right? So it's it's hard to get excited about that. But he made adjustments in the minors. The team was very happy with it, supposedly. And this is a guy who... He has a a 70 hit tool. He has a 60 raw power. Now, he has had trouble elevating the ball, and he doesn't seem to want to elevate the ball, but I'm not sure he needs to. I'm not counting on him at this point in the draft at his cost, even as a keeper next year, as a guy who's going to hit 30, 35 home runs. He doesn't need to do that. I think what he can do is control the K, put the ball in play, and hit for a high average, and end up with something like 20 home runs, maybe up to 25 home runs, given the park that he's playing in hitting high enough in a lineup that he's giving you a high average, a lot of runs and RBIs. He is, again, he's he, like Hoskins, like he's not going to steal you bases. He did steal four last year. Steamer's projecting five. So, you know, it's it's not third base. You get a little bit more speed than you do at first base, but still he's going to chip in a little bit there. Basically, I think that Bohm by this time next year will be a guy that we're considering sort of in that group of 12 starting caliber third baseman, and he's not getting drafted anywhere near that right now. This is another case where I don't think the ADP is wrong. I'm not saying that he's being taken too low. I think this year could be rough because I think he's going to need to sort of develop and grow into that role, but I think he will. Yeah. I mean, the pedigree's there. He's another guy that was mentioned in that Eno Saris pick on the, or piece, I should say, on the athletic um, about guys who are basically the, t- the top 20 projected 
bounce backs by steamer based on wrc plus where steamer projects him for a 98 wrc plus which is still slightly below league average but would be a huge improvement based off last year and if we see that level of of improvement this year for Bohm, i think it's easier to get excited about the future and we're, we're talking about a keeper league so i like it at that value and i agree i think he is a guy maybe not by next year for me to be a top 12 third baseman i think there's i think third base could shake out a lot of different ways and we've talked about this in the past where like we wouldn't be surprised where on an individual basis if each one of these players actually ends up having a huge year or just a good enough year to to boost up the position but Bohm's not out of the conversation um and so in a keeper format for sure at that value all right so you are now on your last pick and it's got to be a reliever so who's in your pen yeah so i went with a non-closer which I, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a dumb decision. I I, I don't want to, especially in keeper leagues, like why wait? I, you're going to wait out a closer like that, that's dumb. But Devin Williams is kind of like an exception to me. I think Milwaukee's shown in the past that they're really strong at developing relief pitchers, even under the current GM. I mean, Jeremy Jeffress was a strong closer for them. Certainly Corey Knebel, uh, Will Smith emerged there. And Devin Williams is no different, right? He's like Josh Hader after Josh Hader, where it's the emerging ace level eighth inning guy and I wouldn't have drafted him if I didn't think he's going to be the closer soon haters going to start all of a sudden getting expensive 2023 is going to be his final year of arbitration where he is absolutely going to get paid he's already made MLB first team twice already so he he's going to get paid and then he's an unrestricted free agent so they risk losing him for nothing and he's also been in trade rumors for years now so I feel like it's only a matter of time until they move him for something they might just be waiting for another piece to to start blossoming in their bullpen where they can hand the eighth inning to player X and hand the ninth over to Devin Williams. Bottom line, though, once they do, Devin Williams immediately, in my mind, becomes a top five closer. He has all the raw stuff. He throws absolute gas. He generates tons of swings and misses. Last year wasn't quite what he did in that short 2020 where he looked like a god, but it was still extremely good, especially down the stretch where I think Devin Williams is is certainly... The number one non-closer reliever on my boards. Basically at ADP, I should have had it in front of me and I just lost it, but it is super late at ADP 318. I think that's that's pretty good value with a ton of upside that could jump literally 200 spots in ADP by next year. Yeah, I I really like that. A lot of the logic behind it isn't that different from my Giles pick, except that it's safer, right? Like, you know, Williams is going to give you the strikeouts and the rates, both cases, we're sitting here and saying, hey, this is a guy who by this time next year may have a lock on a holder, uh, holder's job. That's not a thing. On a closer's job. <laughs> it's a good name for guys who get holds, though. That's <laughs> all right. For me, I forget to set up guys. They're holders. holders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a guy who could be a closer. But even if he's not, I think you're going to get good value from him. There's more risk, I think, in my my Giles pick, both in that he, I took him earlier, right? He, he's 250th off the board. But also that like, we haven't seen him in a couple of years. He might actually be terrible. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know. I don't think that's going to happen, but it, it could be. So I really like that pick. I think it makes a ton of sense. We've now gone through our draft. Let me quickly recap what we've done here. Round by round, Pete took Alex Bregman for third base, Glaber Torres for shortstop, Alex Kirilov for first base, Will Smith for catcher, Brendan Rodgers for second base, Trevor Larnock in the outfield, Sandy Alcantara as his ace, and... Devin Williams in the pen. Round by round, I took Alejandro Kirk at catcher, Jorge Polanco at second, Andrew Vaughn in the outfield, Reese Hoskins at first base, Blake Snell starting pitcher, Ken Giles is my reliever, Willie Adamas at shortstop, Alec Bohm at third base. Pete, I'm going to suggest we do a, a what I'm going to call a lightning round here, which is I have a few guys still on my board that we haven't talked about. I'm guessing you do too. Do you? You look like maybe you don't. Uh, no, I know. I, I, I get some guys I could definitely definitely talk about but why don't you start us off okay so i'm gonna go through and this one i'm gonna do i'm gonna go through everybody who's left on my board i'm gonna say like one thing about them but just to throw some more names out there of guys that i think could jump in value so a catcher the other name i was looking at was carson kelly 12.3 percent walk rate 20.6 percent k rate was where he was last year pretty much where he's been for his career 65th percentile max ev just enough there to be a solid offensive catcher and a solid offensive catcher has more value than the 25th round cost he has right now Chris Taylor going in the 13th round. He's a 17th second baseman off the board, but he had 20 home runs, 13 stolen bases, 92 runs last year. He's going to be right back in the middle of that Dodger lineup. I think he'll be moving up if he puts up another season like that. The other shortstop I was looking at was O'Neill Cruz. He is going 256th, 22nd round. 
super small sample size, only a handful of plate appearances, but that 118.2 max exit velocity is hard to ignore. Just has to control the Ks because the power is legit. The other outfielder I was looking at was Trent Grisham. He's going around the 11th round right now, pick 129. Started off really strong, then fell off. I've got an article about him up on Pitcher List you can go look at. But basically, I think he got hurt and never really got healthy because his plate discipline was still there. It's just he wasn't hitting the ball with authority anymore. The other starting pitcher I looked at was Frankie Montas, 81st off the board, 7th round pick. Basically the 24th, 25th starting pitcher off the board, but he was 19th uh, among starting pitchers on the player Raider last year. And he had two brutal starts early in the season that he sort of put behind him. So I, I think that 19th, like I think he has upside beyond that. And so I'm, I'm, I think that he could establish himself as a top 20, maybe, maybe even a top 15 guy by the end of the season. Top 20, probably more realistic, but that's enough to move him up a round or two. And then the reliever I had on the board that I did not take was Camilo Duvall. He's going 155th right now. He has all the makings of a great closer. I don't know if he's got the job. And so I, I actually think the ADP might be a little bit high because I'm not sure if he's got the job. But I think by the end of the year, he'll have the job. And once he locks it in, again, we talked about before, the 10th closer off the board right now is Jordan Romano at 104, which I think Duvall will be ahead of that by this time next year. So there's my lightning round, rattling off the other guys I didn't draft. <laughs> so my lightning round is going to be a little bit quicker because there were guys who like basically we've already talked a lot about five of them anyway. So I'm going to give those even quicker than than we did before. But Trey Mancini at 185.01 at first base. I mean, we've talked about that at length. He had an absolute monster season. Then the, the, the cancer diagnosis looked like he was fully back last year, just seemed to run out of gas. I think that's great value. Jeff McNeil, I was absolutely floored that you did not take him. I was convinced you were going to take Jeff McNeil. I do um, love Jeff McNeil. You do love yourself some Jeff McNeil. I do too, especially at 306.24. I mean, that's his ADP right now. How can you not love that? Another guy I've talked I've talked enough about is Corey Seager. I feel like 70 pick 75 is like kind of a, a that's a Texas discount. That's what I'm going to call that. Everything's big in Texas. Everything's cheap apparently in Texas. Corey Seager there I like. I talked about Luis Robert. I wanted to take him. I think he's top five upside in the second round at pick 19. And then Ian Anderson is someone who I, I seem to talk about all the time. I love Ian Anderson at pick 132. Now, there were a few names there. Another name I thought you were going to take was Mitch Garver. So Mitch Garver is going pick 220. I decided to go with Will Smith to, to stay true to myself because I, I've preferred the kind of elite catcher. I want, I'm, I'm paying for catcher finally. Garver could be that at pick 220. Just with it being a, a keeper league, I've talked about catchers over 30 years old in the past. He's going to be entering his age 30 season. So, you know, that combined with how bad 2020 was, I'm fine with going with Will Smith instead. Key Brian Hayes at third base. I love. It looked like just a lost season. He kind of projected as a guy who was going to be a good fielder, maybe not that great of a bat in the minor leagues. Top 50 prospect, then broke out right in 2020. And then took a lot of steps back last year and got hurt. But I think people may have missed his September where he only hit one home run, but he did hit 300 and stole five bags, did not get caught stealing once. That was pretty awesome. And I think that might, nope, relief pitcher. I had Garrett Whitlock as my alternative for Devin Williams. I think Whitlock could be even better than Devin Williams. He might actually just already be better than Devin Williams, but I kind of wanted to stay true to what we were trying to do here. And I don't know if Whitlock is long-term going to be a reliever. Devin Williams, though, obviously is. So I went with him. Very nice. Good list of names there. So for those of you who who stuck with us for this full hour plus, not only got the 16 players we drafted, but... A brain dump from Pete and I of other guys we like that Boom. you can take a look at. So with that, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to Keeper Cut. You can follow us on Twitter at Keeper Cut. Pete's available at Pete B Baseball. You can find me at Chad Young. Leave us ratings and reviews. Give us feedback. We love to hear from you. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.